Hey, it's Victoria from Team Girl Boss. I hope you're loving season two so far. I just wanted to pop in to talk about Girl Boss Daily, our must-read morning newsletter with over 200,000 dedicated subscribers. What can you expect? A-plus career advice, dream job postings, and a few emojis, because we're fun like that, all delivered right to your inbox. Sign up by heading to girlboss.com slash newsletter. That's girlboss.com slash newsletter. See you tomorrow. This is Girlboss Radio with me, Avery, your host. I'm the founder and CEO of the workplace design consultancy, Bloom, and a firm believer that work should work for all of us. Today, I'm joined by Ladavia Drain, the head of global inclusion, diversity, and equity at Amazon Web Services. Ladavia has been a longtime leader and champion of removing barriers for underrepresented communities and cultivating equitable spaces. Her career is nothing short of impressive, spanning law, politics, and tech. Previously, Ladavia worked as a law associate Then she transitioned to public policy and politics. She worked as the chief of staff in Congress and even served on Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign. LaDavia and I chatted about big career pivots, how to make your mark at a large company, and what a typical day looks like as a DEI leader and a working mom of three. Let's get into it. Thank you so much for joining us at Girl Boss Radio today. I am very excited to have this conversation. First and foremost, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. How are you, Avery? I am good. It's been one of those weeks that I'm moving through. <laughs> I'm happy that I'm talking to you today. It's not often that I get to speak to someone that I really admire that's industry adjacent on the podcast. So I'm just excited to dive in today. Well, just know that the feeling is mutual. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Okay. So my heart fluttered, by the way, when you said that. I was like, oh no, amazing. That's great. So I always like to look backwards before we talk about present day. And I'm really interested, before you became the woman that you are, what did you want to be when you grew up? When I was a little girl, I was really bossy. And I knew, number one, I wanted to be a lawyer. But further from that, I wanted to specifically be a judge. I wanted to be a juvenile court justice. And to this day, I really do admire judges and I specifically admire judges that work with children. That's incredible. Every single time I talk to anyone, and I've been asking this question a lot now, what they wanted to be when they grew up didn't materialize into what they are now. So you went from working in Capitol Hill to Amazon Web Services, very different industries. How did you get to where you are now from there? You know, Avery, even though the industries are different, so government versus technology, the brands, the impact, the size, the scope, the scale are very similar. I knew coming from Capitol Hill that I needed to attach myself to the same type of organization where we would be close to the sun, where there was a spotlight, there were high risk, high reward. And so for me, I'm not sure if there's many brands that have that same presence as Amazon. And it's kept me busy. So how did you get there? How did you make that shift? On Capitol Hill, I worked in policy and legislation. And so I actually made a pretty simple transition over to Amazon as a lobbyist. Same type of work, working with the same people, still going to the Hill, interfacing with members of Congress and people in the administration. So really seamless transition over to Amazon. But then there was the jump from Amazon public policy to Amazon Web Services, inclusion, diversity and equity. That was kind of different a space that I always wanted to get into specifically for a large tech company. 
So what I love most about your journey and as peers in the industry, I know that some of the most impactful work is work that's actually focused on systems and policy change. So I think it's so valuable to have people like you and the role that you're in. What I was actually really curious about is like, why did you make the pivot? You know, just hearing you talk about systems, you helped me to make the connection. I know that this work is work that I've always done on the Hill, working for the Congressional Black Caucus. I mean, working with minority caucuses overall, always looking for ways to be the voice for the voiceless. There's something about digging deep into the processes and figuring out what needs to change in order to ensure that the system changes, right? The outcome of those systems change. And that's what I did on Capitol Hill. And that's what I'm able to do now at Amazon Web Services. Not everyone is able to do that in these jobs. Not every company is looking for someone to come in who wants to dig deep into their systems, right? People that are listening right now, you can't see me, but I am like nodding ferociously to everything you're saying. And like so many things are coming up for me. A lot of organizations love to focus on performative type of work, things that are external facing, but those are oftentimes, in my personal opinion, band-aid solutions as it relates to this work. And I know that we've gotten already quite deep into the conversation, but for folks that aren't like so totally aware of DEI, what is DEI? So you can kind of explain it for folks listening. We're the people that look at representation. We also look at equity. Are we meeting our employees where they are and adjusting to where they need us to be as opposed to them meeting us where we are, right? And then inclusion, making sure that everyone has a place in the work. No one, regardless of where you're from or how you look, no one's left out of the work. We all have a part to play. So that's the D, the E, and the I of the work. Yeah, I love that. I wanted to ask you, what inspired you to get into this work? Well, Avery, I'm a Black woman in America. Every day of my life, even before I was born, right, there are systems of inequality. There's racism that I've faced, even when I didn't know it. Now that I'm an adult, I look back and I wonder, why, why can't I swim? Well, I can't swim because I grew up in the inner city of Cleveland where I didn't have access to pools. There's a reason why I lived in an all-Black neighborhood. And so for me, I've been really fortunate that I don't believe that my race has stopped me from being successful. There are things that I'm sure I don't have access to and places I don't have access to because of my race and because of my gender. But for me, it's not necessarily about me. There are people coming behind me, in particular girls, that I want to have access to the best. That's my mission. That's why I do this work. It's for those women, those girls that are coming behind me and folks that are non-binary that may face the same type of challenges to show up and be exactly who they are at places like Amazon Web Services. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that that's such an important mission. And I think that unfortunately, a lot of that work is following on people within the community. And, and, and I'm saying this as a, as a Black biracial woman, right? It's so funny when you mention living in an all Black neighborhood right now and growing up in Black neighborhoods and not having access to something as simple as like a pool so you didn't learn how to swim. I was actually walking around my neighborhood today and I'm constantly facing like just nuanced microaggressions and shitty experiences because I live in a predominantly white neighborhood. And I asked myself, just like inner monologue, why don't I live in an all black neighborhood? And I asked myself that honestly. And the things that came up weren't great for a myriad of reasons, mainly because I'm single, live alone, but also because they're like underfunded, underprotected, underserved. And specifically in Canada, and I know this is changing a lot in North America, but not really. 
right? And these are like small barriers that I think that a lot of people that aren't Black don't have to think about. That's right. You shouldn't even have to ask yourself that question. (laughs) When I first moved in my home, I shared this on social media a few years ago. I was really excited about my renovation because I bought a 200-year-old home. I wanted to gut it and renovate it from top to finish and be like a little Joanna Gaines or Leanne Ford and do my thing. And I started documenting the experience. And within like a month of starting this project, my house was vandalized on the outside. They threw paint all over it and sent me a letter threatening me. And I stopped because I was concerned about my own personal safety, right? And I think that I don't know if it was a racially motivated event. I have no clue. But what I do know is it didn't happen to anyone else's house, that no one in the neighborhood has ever had an experience like that. And I escalated it right up to the mayor. And his response was like, yeah, there's a racist underbelly in the environment, the space that we reside in, right? And it's an unfortunate, hard truth. And I'm sharing this today because I think that's what kind of motivated me to reflect on that experience. But then also for me to even have this happen and have to think, was this because of the way that I look? Is this because of my race? These are all things that white folks don't necessarily have to think about on a daily basis. And Avery, you have the privilege to be able to make that choice. There was this place called the West Side of Cleveland, and we knew that Black people didn't live on the West Side of Cleveland. And so, yeah, it's so nuanced and it changes and it evolves, but you should always have the choice. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in reflecting back on the work that you're doing at Amazon Web Services, I think that removing barriers for folks specifically from historically marginalized communities so they actually have a choice is so important. You're right. I'm coming from a huge place of privilege where I do have options and choice. So I wanted to go back to the pivot, right? Because a lot of folks are probably listening to this. And I mean, you and I could talk a lot about the experiences of lived experiences of Black folks and our own personal lived experiences. But what is your advice for listeners who are trying to make a career pivot? Well, number one, I would say you can't be afraid to fail, right? We want to fail forward. And so anyone that is being held back from making that pivot because of fear, that's the reason to do it. Leap, jump, go for it, fail forward dust yourself off and try again. There's something about complacency. And so my message is that to anyone who wants to pivot and hard pivot, completely different industry. If you have that in your gut, if that's something that you desire, you want to go after it, do not be afraid and do it just because you're fearful. That means that there's something that's awesome on the other side. If it's hard to get to, usually it's worth it. Yeah, totally. So. Amazon Web Services, massive, massive organization, an iconic brand, globally known. How do you actually make your mark at a large company so you don't feel like a small fish in a big pond? That is such a good question. You know, I think you make your mark, number one, by doing good work, not taking shortcuts. I remember working on Capitol Hill and wanting to be someone that folks would come to for advice and to work with on bills and things like that. And so I decided that I wasn't going to do that through social circles. Instead, I was going to do really good work, right? I was going to write really important bills and work to get them passed. And it's the same thing for me in my current role. I don't think it matters where you are, but that you show up and do a really good job at what's in front of you. And it all comes It's so important, especially now with things like social media and folks just wanting to be on the stage and have the microphone. But what's the substance behind what you're saying? Like, I can truly say that Amazon Web Services is better today in the space of inclusion, diversity and equity because my team exists because of the work that we've done over the years. 
And so that's what I'm able to talk about as opposed to giving lip service to things that really don't matter, right? Or showing up in that way. So I think it's the hard work. It's the substance behind the work. And that's how, that's how you make your mark. So every day you're doing a lot of work to support the liberation of underrepresented groups and people. And we know that you're a working mom of three. How do you balance life and work? I decided in the very beginning, so when I came into this role a few years ago, that I was not going to compartmentalize, right? That I was going to be all of who I am every day. And I knew that in this role, I would be better if I brought all of that with me into the office. That's what pushes me. That's what motivates me. I think deciding to to be exactly who I am and not compartmentalize is really what helps me to get through this work. And I don't have to pretend to be someone different at work from when I'm at home, especially working from home. I mean, how do you do that? (laughs) Who wants to go on a trip to Italy with Diane Keaton, Jane Fonda, Mary Steenburgen, and Candace Bergen? Um, All of us, right? Your favorite book club movie is back, and this time they're jetting off to the pasta capital of the world for the ultimate bachelorette bash. What was supposed to be a relaxing vacation turns into a -a once-in-a-lifetime cross-country adventure with plenty of laughs, romance, and a sprinkle of scandal. These fabulous best friends prove that, like wine, you only get better with age. Book Club 2, the next chapter, is in theaters and on demand now. Get your tickets at the link in the show notes. You're listening to my chat with LaDavia, the head of global inclusion, diversity, and equity at Amazon Web Services. Next up, we talk about how workplaces can be more inclusive for working moms and parents. Let's get back into it. So speaking of all this, speaking about authentic selves, how can we make the workplace more inclusive for working moms and parents? I know that I'm a better employee because I'm a mom. I work really hard because I have little people at home that depend on me. Because I have an eight-month-old, I'm up most hours of the night and I check my email. So yes, I may have to turn off at a certain point to make dinner or to put the children to bed, but usually I get back on and I'm up early and I work really hard. And so I do believe that it's in a company and organizations, it should be a priority to make sure that mothers feel as though they can be moms and still be in the workforce, be able to progress in the workforce, be successful lead teams. It's so important. It's so important. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that having the autonomy to have more flexibility in your work structure is incredibly important and integral for working parents. I myself, I'm not a parent, but we have two parents that work at Bloom. And I know that what they've shared with me is having access to flexible work hours has been really important for them. And another thing that we've launched at Bloom that doesn't work for every company, but I know that a lot of organizations are aspiring to one day get there is the four-day work week has been like a pretty big shift in supporting that. But I think that you're right. A lot of people that I've spoken to that have embarked on parenthood or motherhood have said that they've become like a better employee or even just better what they do because of it, because prioritizing your time becomes like a superpower. (laughs) And I can tell you one thing that Amazon does really well is allow whether or not you've birthed a child or adopted a child, but to be able to take the time and to have your leave, right? And have extended leave in addition to what's acceptable, right? What's reasonable. I was away for almost six months 
And this is the first time that I was able to take six months away and come back full throttle because I wanted to. After the fact, my job was there. There was no question that my job would be there. And I still have time that I can take before my child turns one. And so the programs that companies build with their employees in mind and the way that we live our lives now, I think are just so important. Our leave policy, it was a game changer for me. That's amazing. And yeah, I totally agree. Bring in the more inclusive and affirming parental leave policies, right? I mean, of course you brought that up because your focus is on systems and policy change. It's such a big part of that, right? So what advice would you give to parents that are working in an environment that isn't actually totally supportive of people with children? I went a long time not putting my children first. And I made the decision that it was time to put them first. And so I sought a job that would allow me to work from home. I needed just a few years to just be there for them, to pick them up from school, to be there when they went to bed and when they woke up. And so that was a decision that I made personally. And I think it's that decision of prioritizing what's important. If your priority is building, if your priority is ascending the corporate ladder, then you may have to make a different decision about whether or not you want to change jobs or seek out an organization that's going to be more open to having policies that are friendly to parents. But I can tell you, I'm someone that, yes, it's important to me to be successful in an organization, but it's more important for me right now to prioritize my children. So I had to align myself with a company that would allow me to do that. Yeah, that's super important. Another question I just wanted to ask is for folks that are feeling energized by this conversation right now and they're loving the work that you're doing and they're really resonating with what you're sharing. What advice do you have for folks that are like, I really like to get into DEI? How do you think that they can pursue that? Well, there's so many roles in DEI right now. I think more than we've ever seen before historically, most people want to go after that big role and lead the organization. I think that there's a pathway to get there. The pathway for me was starting in public policy and taking that experience and using that, which I use every day in this role. For others, it may be look at product management, look at program management, look at the areas where you already have some type of expertise and you can bring that to DEI. Think outside of the box in that way, as opposed to thinking that it's some static thing. I'll give you another example for people that love community work. I have a global community leader. I mean, literally every day she wakes up thinking about how do I go after partnerships and sponsorships and be able to give our employees the opportunity to lead in communities where or on projects where diversity and technology meet. So there's some really awesome jobs out there. But again, I would say Look for those roles where you can use what you are great at, the superpowers that you already have, and bring those to DEI. I think that we're two really great examples of this. You came from Capitol Hill. I came from a tech startup. Okay, so at Girl Boss Radio, we are obsessed with exploring people, and specifically women's, different definitions of success. And I would love to understand for you, what does it mean to be successful? You know, Avery, I'm successful when my team is successful. I don't want to win alone. I want to bring others with me. And so when I'm most successful, I have these awesome people around me and we're making things happen together. We're better together. So that's when I'm successful. I'm successful when my team is successful. Oh my gosh, I just had another heart flutter moment with you. You're so 
fucking right. Like I, I'm so right. I haven't heard that explanation and that frame about success since we started these conversations now over the last two seasons. And I mean, that unlocked a new source of inspiration for me too, because that's genuinely what I'm feeling the best. Like, I think I feel more hyped when I get great feedback about people on my team. Like, that's when I feel successful personally. So with that, I'd love to ask you, do you believe that you're successful? Do I believe that I'm successful? I believe that every day I'm working to get better and better. I ride the Peloton. I don't know about you. (laughs) I have it. I don't ride it. I look at it a lot. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I walk by it every day. It has a couple coats on it. (laughs) Well, I write every morning and I love it because you have this personal best, right? They call it a PR. And so every day I'm trying to surpass my personal record, my PR from the day before or the ride before I had my last little guy, right? Before I gave birth to Kingston. And so that's success for me. It's showing up better than I showed up yesterday and it's doing that time and time again. So do I believe I'm successful? Every day I'm trying to be more and more successful. So I'm not going to say yes. I'm not going to say no. I'm just going to keep on striving to that PR. I love that frame. I think that working towards that getting better every single day is a really great frame to acknowledge. And I think that if you define success as the practice of that, I think that's a beautiful place to be because it's centered around growth and grace. It holds space for that room. And Avery, I don't want to drink my own juice. I don't want to get so full of myself and think that in any area, being a mom, being a wife, being a manager, being whatever it is that you are, I think it's so important to remain humble and to know that there's always the place that you can grow. Do you think it's possible to feel successful, but be actively engaged in the pursuit of getting better? I do. For instance, you gave a speech, you knocked it out the park. That was a success. And I do believe in attaboys. Like I believe in writing down your successes. I believe in being grateful for the things that you've conquered and the things that you've pushed through. But there's always, there's always room to grow. There's always more success to be had. And maybe for me, I just don't want to get to the place where I'm complacent and I feel as though I can stop. No, I got to keep on moving. Got to keep on pressing. A lot of people listening right now probably are struggling with their own definitions of success. And I think that a big part of that is because we change, people change and our concepts of success change. How has your definition of success evolved over time? So I do believe that we have to be kind to ourselves, the definitions, the things that I think society puts on us. I try my very best to resist that, right? Who defines success for me? I guess I define it for myself, but I'm sure that there are societal things that have an impact on that. I'm okay with not being that every single day or not measuring myself in that way. And what advice do you actually have for people that are struggling with feeling like they'll never achieve any sort of level of success? And this is specifically true for folks that are working within large organizations like you are, where it takes more time to grow and to get that promotion, get that raise. What advice do you have for them? Don't give up. Don't quit. There is nothing worse than walking away from the fight, from the struggle. You got to give it enough time. I think about it as laps around the track. Give it another lap. And look, if it does get to the point where you have to walk away, because there's going to be situations where you may not be successful in this place at this time, and you may have to pivot. It may be the right time to jump and to do something different, but just don't give up. 
I don't know about you, but I'm perpetually online. And I think there's probably a lot of people that are listening right now that spend a lot of time on Instagram and TikTok and LinkedIn and Twitter, and they're observing all these people's big wins and successes, and then obviously judging their own. This is even harder for folks that work in corporate environments where there's more red tape, there's more structure and systems in place that don't necessarily prevent you, but guide you in a little bit of a way along your career growth and your journey. And it doesn't necessarily happen as fast as if you were to work within a startup or if you're like your own business owner. What advice do you have for people that are having a hard time with practicing that patience? You know, it's interesting that you bring up social media. So I made a decision that Twitter, Instagram, things that were a bit more social for me that I just wouldn't engage. So, but I knew that I couldn't fall behind. So I use LinkedIn, but I do try to moderate how much of that I take in. Everything that you see is not real. I think that that's really important. Some people are just better at branding themselves. That could be the challenge. Do I know how to talk about my wins? Do I know how to talk about my successes? Do I know how to talk about myself in that way? And it's not an easy muscle for everyone to flex. And so I'm going to go back to giving yourself that grace, you know, and maybe this is because I have an eight by bow and it's just where I am today, Avery. And if we talk next year, maybe I'd have a different answer. But yeah, I have to go back there because it's not all real. It's not all real. Yeah. And I think that that's really important. I oftentimes hear the quote that I feel like it's a bit of a trope, though, I'll be honest, but like comparison is the thief of joy. I think that that's true, but not entirely. Sometimes comparison can be a really healthy motivator, right? I like the frame that you've shared about this is to give yourself grace because I think it holds space for you to be motivated by someone that's doing really well, that you think someone that maybe is doing something similar to you and they've achieved a certain level of success. I love that idea of like giving yourself grace when you do come across those images of people doing really well and maybe you haven't achieved it as fast or quickly as they have. So we're coming near to the end of the conversation. I wanted to ask you a little bit about success and actually how we can help other women achieve success at work. Do we sponsor them? Are there like formal sponsorship programs that we can build? What advice do you have for women listening that are wanting to engage in supporting more women and their success at work? So I'm going to give two answers, one the formal answer and one the informal answer. Formally, yes, absolutely. We have to build the programs. We have to make sure that women aren't falling in between the cracks and sponsorship is really important, right? We know that mentorship is important, but sponsorship, having someone in the rooms that you're not in saying your name, having someone who knows you intimately, right, professionally, so that they can help guide your career so that they can open doors for you, very specific doors, is really important. But I'm going to lean into the informal answer. Every morning at 8.45, I reserve this time block between 8.45 and 9.15 so that I can take phone calls or I can schedule phone calls that aren't necessarily work calls. And I do this because there are, for the most part, women who just need to bend my ear, who just need to know that, hey, I reach out to her. It could be through LinkedIn. It may be through friend of a friend, but that I'm going to respond and that I'm going to be helpful. Help another woman. Be there. Answer the call. Give them the time that they need. That is such a beautiful place for us to leave this conversation off. Before we dive into our in or out segment, we do it for every single conversation. Is there anything you'd like to leave folks with? I do think that we live in a very individualistic type of society where we're always pressing forward. We're looking for perfection. I just don't believe that that's how we move forward. I don't think that that's how we press forward. And so that's what I would say to our listeners. If you're in a position where you can help someone, where you can pull someone along, you can pull someone up, be that person. 
every conversation we have, I like to ask people their thoughts on what's in and what's out as it relates to like the workplace primarily. So in or out, checking emails the moment you wake up in the morning. That's in for me. It's just what I do. I've always done it. There's a person on my team that called me inbox zero (laughs) because I never have an unanswered email. Wow. So maybe that's the key to inbox zero. I haven't been at inbox zero ever. I don't think that ever in my life I've achieved that. Okay. DEI training. I think it's in. It's a part of the work. Yeah. Okay. I was nervous about that one because we offer DEI training at Bloom. (laughs) I'll be honest with you. Whole business thrown out immediately. It's in. Definitely in. Definitely in. (laughs) Making new friends online. It's out for me. Oh, look. I have some really great friends. I've picked up some really great friends along the way. And yeah, I may make a friend or two online, I I, I guess. But for me, I don't have a lot of time. And so I really want to give, and I'm talking about real friends. I'm not talking about what we call friends on social media, but I really want to have the time to be with them, to build with them. And if I stretch myself too thin, I don't get to do that. So that's out for me. Yeah. I'm just going to say this because I'm a big believer in making friends with people online. But what I found is that, and this is like, I don't even know, Liz might cut this out. Liz, by the way, for folks listening is one of the producers and she edits these podcasts. But I just feel like I have a lot of friends, like I have close friends, I do. But like social media friends, if they do ever translate to real in-person friendships are like the best friendships you can find. But for the most part, a lot of that doesn't happen. You're so used to the habit of being friends with these people online. And it's so funny because I asked this question to someone yesterday when we recorded and they said, yes, but I was talking to my mom about friendship and I don't know, it's just interesting because it's like, sometimes I feel like online friendships can feel really one-sided. It's a static conversation, right? Sometimes they respond, sometimes you send them a meme, but it's not really like a dynamic, all-encompassing, holistic friendship. Well, and I think it's generational too, by the way. Just a concept of meeting friends online, I got to say, it's not something that I've really thought about. You meet friends in college, you know, you. (laughs) So, but, you know, maybe I should be more open to it, Avery. Maybe. I think I should be more closed off to it. It's not that I don't have friends. It's just I have a lot of people that I genuinely consider close friends. But I was like, I don't even have this person's cell phone number because we only DM on Instagram. That is so odd to me. (laughs) So anyway, okay, next in or out, failing in public. It's funny. The first thing that I thought of when you asked that question was falling in public. (laughs) But failing in public. (laughs) No, like failing. Like, so if you experience a failure, like, do you share it publicly or do you navigate it privately? I navigate it privately. But I do think that there's a certain energy that we put out when we bring our problems into the public, if it's not necessary. Now, if that's a way that you heal and it's a way that you process, then that's another thing. But for me, I generally do that in private. So it would be an out for me. Okay, that's fair. And my final in or out question is public apologies. We've been seeing a lot of these lately. And I'm saying on an individual basis, not based on from a company perspective. It's in. It's always in. Number one, I come from politics and politicians are always apologizing in public, right? Always. (laughs) This is why I had to ask. (laughs) But then also, it is so cathartic when I've had these full circle moments when people apologize to other people in public. Something that could have happened in private. Maybe it's something that happened in public, but they publicly come back and they humble themselves and they apologize. Nothing better. Nothing better. Yep. Amazing. 
Well, thank you so much. It's been a career milestone for me to have this opportunity to chat with you and learn more about your career. So thank you for your energy. And I know folks listening learned a lot from you today. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Avery. Thank you for listening to my chat with Ladavia. Selfishly, I loved having the opportunity to chat with a peer I admire. Come back next week for another episode of Girl Boss Radio. And in the meantime, please rate this episode or leave a comment to let us know what you thought. As always, this podcast is produced by Liz Goober and Victoria Christie and edited by Diego Domine. Until next time, keep blooming.